Hello and welcome to the Indie Wrestling 20 Years podcast. This is your September 2001 edition, hosted by myself, Daniel Dewitt, and I am uh, alongside, as always, Mr. Billy Johnson and Mr. Adam Joyce. Billy, how are you first? Can't complain, it's been a wonderful September watching good old independent wrestling from 20 years ago. Excellent. And Adam, how about you? Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sticking it out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I discovered a, a new uh, independent TV show, which I will be going into shortly, uh, that's kept me busy. Excellent. Yeah, and this... And as with sort of the, the the last couple of months, we're certainly on a on a bit of a world tour this month. But we'll get into our excursions in the into uh, Japan sort of a bit later on. And always we'll be seeing what else there is in North America. But before we do that, um, we'll have a quick look at what's been going on in the news. Uh, Billy, have you got anything you found out in the news for us? Uh, just um, well, basically main event championship wrestling and its legendary promoter John Collins this month. Wow, it's it's been a, a crazy month for them. Um, they had obviously the successful free show at the arena last month. Um, they got Todd Gordon involved to start um, help promote shows in that area to obviously get a paid audience in. Unfortunately, during the TV tapings that were happening down in Evansville, most weeks, wrestlers were not being paid, <laughs> which is not a shocker. And uh, actually, one week, um, John Collins' wife um, ended up phoning some of the wrestlers because their checks were bouncing. And um, she claimed that he had a heart attack. The next week, he showed back up to the TV taping in Evansville, and he all seemed fine and dandy. And, of course, this has le- left... Um, Guys like Buff Bagwell has uh, apparently quit the promotion, is not going back. Kurt Henning has not seen any of the money that was paid to him. And yet by the end of the month, the promotion was pretty much dead, which is no surprise there. No, not really. They're really putting the uh, ECW into MECW, aren't they, with the with the uh, bouncing of the checks? <laughs> I mean, and they're doing it, and he's he's managed to do it at a record pace, doing it within within a month or so of of starting up, not giving it a couple of years. But yeah, reading through some of the stories of uh, Kurt Hennig going to the airport, trying to pick up his ticket that he was told it was paid for, finding out it wasn't, going home, calling, trying to call the promoter to to get that ticket paid for. He was then given the assurances it was, drives back to the airport, and lo and behold, nope, it still wasn't paid for. So Kurt just had a quick couple of round trips to the airport, but stayed home. And then, yeah, Bagwell basically turning up, asking for money, not getting any, and then just basically getting back in his car and turning around, which you can't blame him for, to be fair, as much as we may not like sort of Bagwell's actions over the past sort of few months. It makes sense for him not to not to wrestle. He's not getting paid. Adam, how are you? What have you found in the news for us? Um, the power couple of Memphis has broken up. Uh, Jerry Lawler and, and the cat are no longer together. Um, <laughs> I, I I should be shocked at this, but I I don't know. I I'm you know they've the thing that was uh, probably calling them together best was you know that you know they they're in nice high paying jobs. Uh, 
in a nice, you know, touring all over the country, and now they're not. It meant they had to spend. I'd say they meant they had to spend time together. But uh, Jerry's not the sort of guy who who stays home too often. But still, I think uh, without the national TV deal, I, I think that's where the relationship might have started to fall apart just a little bit. I'm not trying to cast aspersions over that out there, but I think we're all feeling that a little, aren't we? Yeah, well, the one sort of kind of surprising line that came back to me when I was reading it was the fact they've been together for 12 years. I think I read somewhere, which is just doesn't seem almost feasible in a way. But there we go. Well, yeah, I mean, it means that she's stuck with him uh, through those nasty legal problems he had in the early to mid 90s there. Yeah. Um, Which. But then again, I guess um, he was he was doing really well for himself at that point. So it, depending on exactly what, uh, what he did, you know, there are, there are certain things you can excuse. Yeah. It, it seems very, very far from amicable. She seems to have just up, up and left and basically made herself uncontactable. And Laura has been sort of almost not quite begging, but, definitely sort of pining for her and quite publicly as well but yeah I think that that sounds like it's done and well there's there's not much chance of them kind of getting back together you'd have thought but you know there we go that's that's kind of the story of Joey Lauren and the cat really I say surprised they were together as long as they were and yeah I mean as you say Memphis's power couple are no longer uh, elsewhere in the news, I uh, briefly sort of read about the um, second anniversary, the second anniversary show from XPW. Um, they ran it in in Los Angeles, uh, Kid Chaos winning uh, a tournament, and um, Rob Black, who's still still running it, suggesting that they're about to get a major TV deal. That seems to be a thread of a lot of things going on in independent wrestling at the moment in in North America, loads of companies and would be promoted, promote, uh, promising uh, TV deals are coming here and everywhere. But if TV networks aren't going to pick up the WCW um, spin-off shows that WF were touting a few months ago, I'm not sure what chance many other companies will do with much less money and far fewer talent. Do Vivid Video have a television channel in the US? I'm just just asking. Uh, mm. I, I can't say I'm too disappointed about there being less XBW output um, given the <laughs> output we watched last month. <laughs> no, it, it, it's not a promotion I, I, I see myself readily jumping back into. But there, there we go. Um, Come on, the Messiah ascended anyway. to the heavens, lads. Come on, let's let's, let's be a little bit. Well, well that, that's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, but who how, knows where that, 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 really? that would come up? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Maybe they've maybe they've had their their peak, and I, I, we were lucky lucky enough to watch it last month. There we go. There's a joke in there somewhere, that, but I'm not going to make it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, 
don't think there was much more else in the news uh, aside from a, f- um, a few names such as uh, Road Dog, Steve Ray, Bret Hart, and a, a few other sort of ex WCW talent heading down to Australia for the, for the planned uh, Vince Russo show that happening uh, in October, and I'm sure we will uh, cover some part of them uh, in next month's show. So look out for those. Well, it is going to be a taped as well as uh, as it's going to be a taped pay per view. Yes, you know, the, we'll we'll get round to watching it at some point. Yeah, Bret no, Hart's sure on there, so why not? <laughs> well, there we go. I mean, any chance to watch Bret, even if even in just a announcer or whatever capacity he he's in, we'll see. Now, uh, might be um, the worst role for Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, at this time probably a, a belligerent Brett so I'm not sure how exciting that will be but maybe maybe whilst moaning he says something quite funny who knows we might get some sort of gem out of him you never, you never know oh, so if, the- we, if we're talking about promotions like that we've mentioned Wrestle Express pretty much every every month we've been doing this yes. and so their shows next week uh, next month which I'm sure we will cover and they've had a really split month because at the start of the month they were still announcing matches and talents um i don't have my notes in front of me but i know that eww's the dominator was announced as a full-time thing which will which i will come back to short which i will come back to later um but yeah he, and then towards the end of the month they've announced uh, they're going to have a press briefing on the 1st of October. Um, this is after news of the Wrestle Express owner trying to sell a share of it to a guy who ran a, a one show back in April, and which is not looking good for this promotion. But Yeah, all these sort of shady goings on before for show number one, which is, yeah, something mm. to to be wary of when we come to that ne- next month. But as of right now, they are still looking to hold that, that show in the Coventry Sky Dome. Um, so we we shall see what, what's going on and we'll have, we'll have the announcement in the news, um, yeah, when the next episode drops. Excellent. And um, speaking of something we've talked about sort of most months, uh, the nwa title um spoiler for the rest of the podcast there is no nwa title match this month but there is one planned for next month with um steve carino defending at the uh, nwa 53rd anniversary show hopefully that's planned to be against um hashimoto but that match currently the plans for that match seem to be a bit up in the air but um hopefully if not hashimoto there will be a title match in of some sort we can talk about next month but enough about promoting next month i think we've promoted quite a bit for for next month let's see what's on the on the docket for for this month and first off it is um my match my first match and it comes from the um hwa so the hut which was a uh, wwe uh, developmental territory and that match is uh Kiwi and Johnny the Bull versus the Island Boys. 
So as you might just heard there, uh, Pui and throwing the ball in HWA. So this is a storyline now that HWA are running that the invasion from of WCW talent into the WWF has spilled over into the WWF developmental territories. And now they're coming over, coming down to the HWA to take over. And defending the sort of honour, if you will, of the HWA are the Island Boys, uh, Kimo and Ekmo, who you may sort of recognise will become a three-minute warning in the next sort of few years. And then Rosie and Umaga after that. So I, I picked this match just to see how they sort of started off. Uh, the, before the match starts, the Iron Wars come out uh, a quick uh, promo, sort of again, sort of defending XWA and basically telling the uh, WCW guys that they're not wanted. And it, and I, I believe it is uh, the future Margo who refers to Queerly as Alan, so going, calling him by his real name, Alan Funk, rather than Queerly, but maybe just a quick slip of the tongue there. Um, Alan, I said, well, Queeby responds to this and uh, the, East, the uh, WCW boys uh, jump the Iron Boys to start off the match. But as, as Johnny tries to, uh, Johnny the ball tries to ram uh, Kimo's head into the turnbuckle, he, of course, being an Iron Boy, uh, no sells it. I see, see they're using the hard head gimmick uh, from the past sort of 30 or 40 years. Who knows? Who knows why they're still doing that, but I guess that's that's kind of a, a territory thing to still do. Nevertheless, it, it works, and he, Johnny the Ball is sent out to the outside, leaving Queeby all alone in the ring and gets sandwiched in between uh, the Island Boys. Uh, then throw uh, Queeby off into the corner, and uh, I can't remember if it's Kimo or Ekmo, but one of them then hits a corner attack sort of runs into the corner and sort of washes Queeby there. Um, Johnny then comes back into the ring and attacks um, Ekmo, who's now the legal man, and a quick double team from Johnny and Queeby gives the WCW guys the advantage. Johnny now the legal man in and um, impressively uh, manages to grid a press the the man who will become Umaga. Only gets two count. Goes Johnny then goes for the Irish whip, but that's reversed into Alari and a two count for Ekmo. Uh, Ekmo then tags in Kimo. They hit a double headbutt and double elbow drop on on Johnny, but before he can they go, before they can go for a pin. He quickly rolls and tags in Queeby. Queeby sort of a quick hot, uh, sort of a hot tag from himself. Quick bit of offense, but then uh, Kimo managed to hit a drop kick. A man of his size hitting a drop kick is pretty impressive, even though it's not that high. And then uh, picks him up with an Irish, goes for the Irish whip. Kiwi goes for a sunset flip, but Kimo reverses it, sits down it, and that gets another near fall. More double teaming, however, by the uh, WCW uh, guys to gain uh, an advantage. Ending in a double suplex and another two count. More d- double teaming, but this t- by Johnny the Ball and Query, but this time it's reversed. 
by chemo and with a punch and kick knocking them both down and this time it is a sort of more of a, a hotter hot tag to ECMO who hits uh, Rikishi-esque psychic I guess they're related so it makes sense it has a similar moveset I guess goes to the pin but that's broken up by Kiwi and um, Johnny Bull comes in to try and uh, try yet another double, double team move with uh, Query, but again it's foiled uh, when Ekmo evades Query, sending him shoulder first into the ring post, and then Johnny is sent out to the floor. Query's brought back in and hit and hit with an elevated sort of cut type move by Ekmo, followed by a spinning leg drop by Kimo to get the three count for the future three minute warning. A short sort of showcase there, I think, for the Island Boys. They seem pretty good. I mean, given who they're related to, you kind of expect that sort of level of, sort of talent and ring awareness. Um, Johnny, I thought that Johnny the Ball stamp was pretty impressive, but there wasn't really much else from the guys from WCW. Maybe they're happy to have a contract and a payday for the time being. Uh, gentlemen, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's a fairly sort of straightforward TV tag match. Um, yeah, I I do like uh, Kiwi from his WCW days. I don't know what it is. It's just I don't see him being like a big star, but I think it's a shame that you know he, he kind of um, what actually ended up happening with him with the incident with Sonny Siaki a couple of years after this. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a, this isn't like a, exactly a standout match, but it's a good showing for all involved. Uh, I definitely see where the Umaga gimmick came from. Watching, uh, I can't, I've forgotten which, what his name is here, but to be fair, I I sort of probably have misnamed them both multiple times throughout that that recap there but yes one of them was Imago and one of them was was Rosie that's all I can unfortunately sort of tell you the the pitch quality wasn't the great, greatest and I think even the commentators may have mixed them up at, at times as well yeah but they would yeah it was a it was a good showing for all involved uh it's interesting that they tried they were doing a WCW invasion with HWA um you know because I WCW versus WWF mate you sort of think, okay, they're the two big ones, but it it says a lot for the what the WWF thought of the WCW talent they did purchase that there was enough that when they sent them to development or that they, they do this sort of uh, this sort of storyline, um, it's like, yeah, you we don't think you're ready for national TV. <laughs> so because um, they've brought up like 24 contracts to start with and pretty sure not all of those actually made it onto TV obviously Johnny the Bull and Kiwi here I know Mike Sanders was another one who yeah I out. think I think on commentary they mentioned that Mike Sanders was the one kind of leading this sort of lower tier invasion he was the WCW sort of head representative if you will kind of like I guess if it, when he was managing the natural brawn thrillers he was like the mouthpiece behind all of this yeah having watched it says a lot for the level of talent of the guys they sent to developmental that so their leader is described as above average. 
So yeah, um, I've been watching a bit of um, HWA TV, and I can can confirm that Mr. Above Average is is their leader, and he's brought in guys like Jamie Noble, Jimmy Yang, um, Kiwi, Johnny the Bull. So yeah, it's something for them to do. I believe Hugh Morris will be down there at some point as well. And um, there'll be D'Lo Brown will be coming into HWA as well shortly. So it's something for them, for the local audience, you know, sells tickets. Not that there's going to be many people at these shows, but um, no, pretty average TV match that we had here between the two teams. Um, like Umaga and Rosie looked pretty competent. Um I think like before this they were like under like the Island Gangster Boys or something like that, but they've sort of um you know, made them more island boys. So Yeah, they they dropped the gangster. I think they were I guess positioned as the, the faces in this, weren't they? Against the 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 evil invading uh WCW. But Which I guess is- it sort of shows that at least it, like with WF buying the contracts, at least they were sort of I guess farming them out to ter- territories and trying to get them sort of seasoned and maybe sort of as you mentioned with like people like jamie noble they'll eventually bring them up to to the main uh, product at, at some point not just sort of buying them and then leaving them sat at home for the most part well at least they're doing something and they all can't exactly. be in ovw as well so it's it's good for them it's like i believe nigel mcginnis was in hwa at this point as well yes so, he was on their, um, their brian pillman card last month he was the opening match that's right. And so, you know, they've, they've got quite a lot of good talent down there. And, and you know, um, there's another guy that JR seems to be banging on about all the time on his uh, Ross reports on WWF.com. He's uh, Steve Bradley and he's uh, one of their top guys. And um, yeah, no, pretty good um, developmental going on down there. Um, some of the TVs were, were worth watching. They're just having some decent... Uh, TV matches was uh, a, a, a decent storyline, which is WCW invading HWA, and it actually, on a smaller scale, sort of better than the, the Alliance stuff that's going on in the Fed, which is a bit bizarre, really. But hey, Les Thatcher is, seems to understand uh, an interpromotional war better than Vince McMahon. Who would have been shocked about that? <laughs> well yeah that's the thing that if you were in that area at the at the time that would have been kind of kind of interesting because you got you interested to see which which stars from WCW and maybe even WF were going to come down to to see your show the next week or next month or however it however it was so yeah being I can understand being there at the time would be quite the place to be really if if you couldn't get to any any of the bigger shows of course Cool. Right on to our second match for today, and it is um, I think it's, this is Adam's uh, first choice. It is um, a women's match between um, Molly Holly and Cat Larue. Adam, uh, over to you. Yeah. So, like I said, like I said earlier, I've uh, I've recently discovered uh, IPW Hardcore. Um, they've just started on on Florida local TV at this point. Uh, they so they're They've only done, as of this recording, six episodes. Um, and so I watched all the episodes this month. 
which uh, had some interesting aspects to it. They, they've got a guy called Devin Nash. <laughs> hey. oh. oh, lovely. Who is only he's, he's about he's only about six foot three and looks like he weighs about as much as both of Kevin Nash's arms put together. But I'd say he's cosplaying really badly as Kevin Nash, but cosplay has put a lot of effort in. It more looks like he's found a Kevin Nash Halloween costume at the dollar store. Um, they've also, but yeah, they've also got various names that will probably crop up on this podcast a lot. Uh, Black Nature Boy Scoot Andrews, who I'm sure we will cover at some point, um, probably very soon actually. Uh, they also one of the matches they had this month featured the Shane Twins, who were. I think the match of theirs I saw on, on this show was probably the best they've looked. Uh, I mean, granted, they were still very green, but even when I saw them several years after this, they were still very green. So that that wasn't a factor. Um, they weren't quite as inflated as, as when they appeared on, on SmackDown. I don't know what that says about them. Obviously, their, their careers never quite reached the heights it looked like it could do. Obviously, the first time they appeared on, on national TV, uh, Vince Russo decided to dress them in skin suits and call them the Johnsons. Uh, which, because they, they were under masks, they might have recovered from, but unfortunately the next time they appeared in uh, on national TV was a few years later and you could see their faces, so they couldn't really get, get over that. Um, but yeah, I'd but yeah, there is a lot of names sort of come up. Like um, the main event of the last TV of this month featured Jimmy Ray, a great little talent who uh, I don't know if he, he sort of I think he did hit his ceiling in TNA, but still he he put on so entertaining matches. Um, my biggest issue is uh, is really like the, the commentary team. They've got. Uh, one guy who I think will become famous in about a year in TNA for an incident in a trash can. Um, and uh, yeah, they they use on-the-desk mics and apparently don't know when you're using on-the-desk mics. If you smack the desk, it makes a lot of noise. There is a <laughs> lot of that in their introductions. Um, yeah, so the match... Like you said, the match I'm doing is Molly Holly versus Catlaroo because a lot of these guys on this show are Malenko's trainees, and I think Molly was also trained by Malenko, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, she's kind of you know doing him a favor by by appearing on this show. Um, this match is for whatever reason for a hardcore TV show. They they edit the matches down because it's a roundup show. If for some reason, the only bits they edit out are anything that happens outside the ring, um, as I will go into in a minute, which is fine. It just seems weird when you call yourselves hardcore, that the bits outside of the ring are the bits you don't show in your TV show. Um, the, but yeah, the unedited version of this match is also on, on their YouTube page, but quality is, is so poor. Um, they it, the lighting effects, the lighting that they have used looks like they were expecting only to be a radio uh, production because you can't see a damn thing that's happening in, in that arena. 
Uh, the camera's all out of focus. Somehow they managed to clear it up for the for the TV show, um, which I'll go into now. Um, as I realise I've got the wrong page open for my notes. So uh, there's no entrances on here, but like I said, they had to edit everything down for TV. Um, the match graphic comes up, and the first thing I think is it's superior to the one used for the main event of New Blood Rising last year. <laughs> uh, in other news, water is also wet. So lock up Arm Dragon LaRue. Uh, before I go on, I'm going to bring up LaRue's ring gear here, or lack thereof. She's wearing like a what describes a party dress. Uh, I think she's trying to go for something, but there is no female athlete in any other sport who would wear anything like that because it's kind of flowy and it ride up. You just get in the way when you're trying to move around. Um, also, I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak from experience in this, but I don't think it gives the rights of support in certain areas. Um, I, I get not want I get wanting to wear something to to sort of stand out, but but this is the wrong decision. So uh, another lockup. Cat um, goes behind, but Molly gets out and arm drags into an armbar. Announcers bring up Jack Tunney as the WWF president, which I, would be a funny line if I hadn't seen anything else they'd announced over. Uh, sadly, they're just evidence. You can't just sit down and call a wrestling show. There is a learning curve before you can offer credibility to this product. Uh, Cat escapes the arm bar, but Molly rolls through with the uh, La Magistrale for, for two count. Another lockup, and there is something about LaRue's lockup I am just not a fan of. I think it's too open. Um, I mean, if I saw her in a baby face match, I'd pop for the heel, just chopping her straight in the throat if she tried to do that lockup with, with a veteran heel. Um, I, it's supposed to be a real battle, and if you leave yourself open, you get hurt. Uh, any boxer will tell you that. Uh, so. Molly ducks a clothesline and takes LaRue out with a head scissors. LaRue rolls and there's an awkward camera cut, which I like to find out is 30 straight seconds of stalling. I can understand why they cut that out of the TV broadcast. Uh, LaRue guillotines Molly on the top rope and gets back in and gets straight to putting the boots in. Uh, Molly gets dragged to the corner where she sits on the where uh, LaRue sits on the top rope and chin locks Molly, lifting her off the ground in a spot that looks really rough but at the same time it's a good solid heel move uh after she breaks on the four count she does it again uh then she follows that with a nice looking bulldog from the top which gets a two after a passable looking stomp um at this point i realize the commentary is a second or so ahead of the action and sort of they're calling kickouts just before they happen it kind of take kind of takes something out of it for me uh, there's a weak-looking clothesline, on Mo- and Molly is is really selling quite well here. Sadly, that just highlights the fact that Cat really isn't. Um, so Cat scoops up Molly, and something happens where Molly kind of falls over the ropes. Uh, a short fight on the outside is trimmed out of the TV uh, footage, and Cat throws Molly in. Uh, Molly slides out of another slam attempt and gets a two-on a roll-up. Cat responds with a nice-looking clothesline. A couple of mean-looking hair whips followed by a slam, and Cat goes for a rolling splash but gets Molly's knees instead. Uh, Molly fires up and nails some clotheslines and a drop kick before dragging Cat to the corner. Molly works her over in the corner before whipping her across and hitting a monkey flip. She then throws her back into into the corner, and the commentary team, uh, commentary team even says, "What the heck?" Which kind of 
preempts what's about to happen as Cat sort of drops her and goes for the flare corner pin, although she doesn't really hook her feet on the ropes, but still picks up the surprise win. Uh, she stomps Molly before leaving the ring, leaving Molly looking quite stunned. Um, so, yeah, Cat LaRue, uh, uh, she does, it's DD something, uh, I've forgotten what the other name is, but prior to this, she'd face Molly a lot on like WCW house shows and the C-level shows uh, in the last sort of, year or so when Molly was uh, Mona there. But WCW didn't really pick her up. Um, they ha- would have one more fight later on this year on a Jack taping. I think it was a dark match, but I think every match on Jack is a dark match because I don't know anyone who watched that show. Um, yeah, true. But yeah, I mean, in that match, LaRue just wore sport, sports bra and pants, which I think is a step up from what she's wearing here, but it still just didn't fit her right. I, um, eventually, I mean, she goes she goes on for another seven or eight years, but doesn't really ever get picked up and just sort of crops up here and there. Um, she looked really green here, I'm going to be honest. Um, I mentioned her selling wasn't really there at all. There's, there was possibly something there, but I think she needed a bit more training she needed before she could even really sort of go to, uh, be sent to developmental. Maybe if she went to OBW on, on her own steam, maybe they could build build her up. But even then, they might look at her and go, come back in six months when once you've had some more seasoning. Because I don't. I mean, what, what did you guys think of this? For me, uh, yeah, production values not not great. The attire, as you mentioned, yeah. Aside from uh, Molly sporting a single elbow pad, you could have easily just said had these two women being out on a night out somewhere, and then you would have you would have recognised that they're wrestlers. But um, that being that being said, and yeah, who am I to talk, talk about what uh, what people wear? I'm just a jeans and a t-shirt man most most days of the week. But um, but yeah, no, I, I I enjoyed it. Uh, good to see sort of Molly sort of going through her sort of repertoire. It shows why she was in the WWF at the time. Um, yeah, I, I kind of get what you said about sort of um, Cat not being the, the the best of 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 workers at the time. But I I think she sort of done enough. I think Molly obviously was carrying and and doing most of the the work in the match. But but it wasn't it wasn't that sloppy apart from the ending the ending was kind of just put a bit of a dampener really with the sort of muffle block monkey flip into the foot on the ropes yeah pin yeah that was, that was, that's the only sort of real down point which which unfortunately because it's the ending it means it, it matters kind of almost most in the way but but yeah, yeah not I too mean, bad where i because i first watched this match the unedited footage and because it wasn't that clear i sort of what i was seeing was i was seeing cat keep up quite well with molly which i think just comes from the fact they, they'd wrestled about five or six times at this point, not that long before. Um, I mean, the, the part of the reason I chose this match is because everyone sort of remembers Molly for being like this great work, which, I mean, she showed, she showed it here. It's what, but it's one of those things I don't really sort of think of that stage of her career till sort of after she splits from the hurricane, which um, speaking of which they, this month was the, was the turn of, uh, Molly, where she joined the, with the Hurricane, and 
What ha- what happened, guys? That that wasn't brought up on the main show. Why am I having to do your work? Just because you had seventy million title changes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, seventy million title changes and a national disaster. Come on, guys. So we we're, we're trying to we're trying to offer everything here. Ah, uh, um, but yeah, I because uh, this because when this was recorded, it was before the turn and. And when it aired, it was after the turn, so it was kind of odd. Probably kind of odd for the people watching TV to sort of see her as a baby face. But for the previous two or three weeks on, on national TV, she'd been a heel. But that, that's what happens when you're, when you're airing on a bit of a delay. Um, but yeah, I, um, Billy, what, what are your thoughts on this? I would assume, Adam, you, you made me watch this because I made you watch a death match at some point. Couple of months ago, I think it was your way of getting me back, right? Well, I don't know if you how many. I don't know if you watch any other episodes of this, but this is one of the better matches they showed this month. Oh my and, god! <laughs> it's, it's not that the match was bad. Come on, it, it, it was passable. Yeah, it was sloppy. The finish was incredibly sloppy, but it was your typical indie match. I think it was the commentary was really bad. The production was bad. The lighting was bad. Everyone's attire was pretty bad. And then I don't think Holly is... looks that bad. Think, yeah. <laughs> no, she doesn't look horrible or anything like that. But you know, in that lighting, yeah, in that production, no camera, how all come across, it just looked very, very shindy. It's not that's like shindy's worse than indie. It, it just didn't look great in any way whatsoever. And Cat Larue. Hey, um, you know, maybe she will get better. Let's, let's let's give her time, you know, see if she does. I don't think she will, but yeah, then uh, this is not for me. But it's a, uh, you know, can't every match be the same? We, we've said this before. We can't have five star after five star match all the bloody time. And it was good to go and look at something from Molly Hoddy's career. Like you said, Adam, before she becomes Mighty Molly and then goes on to what she does do in the Fed. So, yeah, it was it was okay on that front, but the rest of it, I, if I don't have to watch another E W W or no, sorry, I what was it? What was the pro- name this of the promotion? Was, this was I P W. I okay. If I, I don't ever want to watch another I P W hardcore <laughs> show in my life. Dan normally well, the one that's giving us the shit we've sandwich. We've got AJ Styles match coming up in a couple of months. Well, yeah, but AJ's got to get booked. So, okay, that, uh, all right. Well, maybe I will watch it again then. I'll, I'll keep quiet. But my judgment right now is I don't really want to see another match from that promotion. <laughs> you don't want to see a Devin match, Nat. Okay. I kind of do. I kind of do. I want to, I want to see if he's got the move set. Out of curiosity, I want to see if he's able to flick the hair because that's a move, right? And put the well, fist. Cornet, it is. Yeah. I, I think I think he might have more than slightly more than ten moves. Uh well, that's just that's just taking me out of out mm. of suspension of disbelief. Then how can I possibly believe he is the younger brother of Kevin? <laughs> if that's what he's going for. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the power bomb is um is WrestleMania 11 level. Oh wow. At least it's not um, sold out a level. It might be actually. Um, 
That's, <laughs> I think I think I think we I think we're talking that sort that sort of level power one. Or you 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 might have tempted me there, and I might have to do a, a, a search and see if see if he appears next month. You might have oh, got he, me there. Yeah, because th- he stays with the because the promotion uh, it kind of fades out in 2005, and they do like the occasional show every now and again, and they just shove it up on the YouTube channel because they do have names you, like i say they've names you rec- you'll recognize who crop up on their shows what's well, good um, for you guys though they're up then they're, they're like so, yeah i think it's it's either three or five but yeah they 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 sort of crop up and then like i say they, they have like uh fr- like free outdoor shows for the last couple of years most of those matches are up on their, their website as well so one one thing that made me smile about this, I don't know how much of the TV you watched. I watched, like I said, all of it. One of their main insurers is one of their main sponsors is an insurance company called Best Insurance. You know when you just think, if yeah. if it's not owned by someone called Best Insurance, they're if it's not owned by like a Pete Best or a Dave Best or someone, <laughs> they're they're really sort of yeah. Themselves I know what you mean. Fail. Yeah, it's it's like the one. It's like um, this is coming kind of from a my old sort of marketing uh, college days of um, never trust a company called A1 something because they've only done it to be the first in the, the first in the yellow pages. So don't don't book them either. But yeah, A1 yeah. something or yeah, best or like top quality something. Yeah, they're, they're over they're overselling themselves basically. So yeah, maybe <laughs> something to to look out for. But um, <laughs> Thanks for that, Adam. Uh, appreciate seeing Molly Holly, albeit in a bit of a sketchy type way, I guess. Um, over to you, uh, Billy, for our first trip to Japan. So, yeah, predictably, I've made you guys watch another match in Japan, which, haha, shocker, yet again. So, we're off to um, Ultima Dragons promotion. Tori Moyon for this match. Uh, this was a part of a um, big show here at the Otter Ward Gymnasium. Apparently there was 5,100 people, but it certainly didn't seem like that in the building. But then it was a pretty dark setup and everything. Uh, this would be a five-way steel cage escape mask versus hair match. It would pit... Seema against Darkness Dragon um, against Dragon uh, Kid, Motrazuki and Magnum Tokyo. So the match starts off with Dragon, Seema and Tokyo all brawling while Motrazuki tries to escape. But Seema and Magnum Tokyo stop brawling and decide to pull Motrazuki off the cage. Now, to me, that didn't make a whole lot of sense, considering for the first 10 minutes, you apparently weren't allowed to escape the cage. But because Motrazuki's a hill, he doesn't give a shit. He's just going to try and climb over anyway. All five men exchange some head scissors. Motrazuki then turns on fellow hill and DJ unit member Darkness Dragon with a scoop slam and puts the boots to him. All five men go back to brawling. Then Magnum Tokyo. and Dragon Kid hit a pair of double drop kicks to Motrazuki. Then Motrazuki and Dragon, Darkness Dragon, now Tokyo, 
Magnum Tokyo with a double drop kick and shake one another's hand. But predictably and almost immediately turn on one another because they're hills. Of course, they're going to do that to one another. Dragon Kid then nails Darkness with a tilt-a-whirl head scissor, which it goes into a arm drag. All five men battle back and forth with one another for the next few minutes or so and bounce one another's heads off the cage. All five men look lost at this point with no real direction going into the match. But then when you have that little added stipulation of for the first 10 minutes, you can't climb over it. That's why this is what happens. All for, um, Machizuki hits a standing squad twister press to Magnum Tokyo as Seema and Dragon Kid and f- fellow unit. Uh, they're in a unit together. They start going at one another. Again, we're at like the seven minute mark and not a lot has happened. Machizuki applies a figure four to Seema while Darkness Dragon does the same to Magnum Tokyo. More brawling between all five men. Suddenly, all four men put the boots to Machizuki as the announcer counts down to the official 10-minute mark. And now it's legal to escape the cage. And Dragon Kid, Seema, Darkness Dragon and Magnum Tokyo go to all four opposite corners and try to escape the cage. But a downed Machizuki hulks up and starts pulling each of them off the cage one by one. Montrezuki lets Seema, Dragon and Tokyo team up on Darkness Dragon as he tries to sneak out the cage, but the baby faces catch him and pull him off the cage and then back into the ring. Darkness Dragon and Montrezuki go back to double teaming the baby faces. Then, of course, predictably, Darkness Dragon swerves his partner and escapes the cage leaving Mochizuki on his own against the baby faces for some reason the baby faces start fighting one another this didn't make no sense whatsoever why wouldn't they just beat up Mochizuki and escape the cage for the win Seema hurts his knee but still tries to escape the cage but Mochizuki catches him and pulls him off the cage and applies a figure four Magnum Tokyo breaks up the hold but Seema looks to be done for with the way he was set in the knee. Then Seema suddenly hulks up and suplexes Dragon Kid into the cage and then just escapes the cage, even though moments earlier he was unable to walk. Magnum Tokyo and Dragon Kid then get the right idea and start working over Motrazuki, but the hill Motrazuki battles back and ends up power bombing Dragon Kid into the cage. They all tease over the next few minutes escaping the cage dragon kid does eventually escape even desperately trying to help his fellow unit member and mentor magnum tokyo escape but can't help him escape as mochizuki was holding on to magnum tokyo and eventually pulled magnum off of the cage and back into the ring so now it's down to two men so there will be well there will not be any unmaskings but someone is definitely going to be losing their hair tonight Magnum Tokyo and Mochizuki trade lariats back and forth and tease escaping the cage. The former Dancing Fool member, Magnum Tokyo, because he was in a team with Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. They were the Dancing Fools in WCW in 1998. I'm sure no one is going to remember that, but I do. Uh, Magnum Tokyo then nails Mochizuki with an inverted tombstone driver 
it was a fucked up move, whatever it was. Then tries to escape again, but Darkness Dragon runs out along with two other member DK unit members and climb the cage to stop Magnum Tokyo escaping as Machizuki recovers in the ring. Meanwhile, Dragon Kid, who is on the outside, is shown basically crying as he's over his mentor's predicament. Magnum Tokyo nails Motrazuki with a handspring kick, but Motrazuki battles back and nails Magnum Tokyo with basically a big Mercro Kokop like head kick. Not once, but twice. Motrazuki then climbs out the cage and Magnum Tokyo has to have his head shaved. Dragon Kid looks on distraught as he may have saved his own identity, basically his mask, but not his mentor's, heel, uh, mentor's hair. The hill unit of DK led by Motrazuki then begin to try and shave Magnum Tokyo's hair off, but it barely cuts it because, of course, the clippers are not working. As Motrazuki and the rest of the DK unit all stand around laughing maniacally and cutting a Japanese hill promo as Dragon Kid is yet again shown on the outside crying. Well, OK, I remember Adam sort of saying that he thought this was a clusterfuck. Yes, it was a cluster at times and at times it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. But you have to sort of be able to follow the context of the story, which, again, sort of throwing you into watching Terry Moyon for the first time. You're not going to understand the story. So I kind of get your point of views from what you were saying there, Adam. But you have to remember that this was all about. Basically, two units coming together. The Hills didn't have the advantage because it was two of them against three of the babyface. And yeah, if you, you're definitely going to like the story if you know the story going in. But if you don't, you're probably not going to say this was the best match in the world. But I, I enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I did like Dragon Kids selling. He was basically doing the Onita crying on spot on the outside. I thought that was a nice touch. It added a lot of drama and tension to the finish, which was not too bad. Uh, what about you, chaps? What did you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, I didn't know the story, so I was a little bit lost to begin with. Um, I, I said you, you said I mentioned about. It being classified, I didn't actually watch it till earlier today. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but it's just you know five, gu- five, five guys, guys in a cage. Yeah. It it just it's like I feel this will not be the first time we are in a sim- in a comparable situation to this. Um, not a big fan of multi man matches. I don't like. I don't see the point of cage matches where you have to escape. But to be fair. Yeah, these guys decided to make it over the top, which I feel the escape thing is worse when you allow someone just to walk out the door. You know, a cage match is supposed to be here are two guys that hate each other so much, they just they need to be left alone. And the escape the cage is like, yeah, I hate you so much. I want to do so much damage to you that I'm going to run away scared. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, also, if you're going for a door, Hulk Hogan can make it over the damn cage. Granted, he needs holes the size of pizza boxes, dirt, but he still did it at WrestleMania too. If you need a door, 
you are not as good as Hulk Hogan. And do you really want to look in the mirror and admit that to yourself? Um, but yeah, I obviously I struggled to follow this, not knowing the story. The commentary was in Japanese. It was they didn't do the one of the few smart things TNA did and cut out gaps in the cage for the cameras. So the cage was, you know, obstructing a lot of the view. But everything that happened inside, I mean, I sort of towards the end picked up on the the faction rivalry. And yeah, I sort so I kind of I kind of got why the finish uh, was perceived how it was, but yeah, it's 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 hard to follow without any English commentary and not knowing the background. Um, I mean, I, to be fair, the, the guys doing what they were doing was was good, but, you know, it was what it needed to be. But yeah, with, without any context. It was just a lot of guys doing things to other guys. Um, and yeah, it took me a couple of seconds. It took me till I think Seema got out till I realized, okay, that the last person left in is a loser. That's that. But yeah, I, it's, it's not my thing and I can't really rate it as a match because, you know, it, it took me 12 minutes before I, really understood what was going on in it so <laughs> i don't i don't know what else i can add from there yeah a bit a bit similar uh for myself but um but i, I didn't in, enjoy it as much as yeah it was kind of a bit tough to follow i was kind of before watching much i was thinking, trying to figure out how to how how they're going to enforce this um hair and mask stipulation considering usually uh Okay, much is one when the first person gets gets out, but then oh yeah, I kind of deduced then as as they sort of match was going on, you could you then sort of figured out that yeah, it was a case of last man left left in rather than first one out. Um, yes, good going. Um, the match length I think was was okay. I mean, I think it could have been short. I think uh, when it got down to the last two, there was still quite a bit of time left in the match, which I think dragged a bit i guess uh, now knowing sort of the story behind it that kind of makes sense having those last two so sort of go that a little bit longer but um and then uh, yeah as you say um the the hair clippers as they are so often do in wrestling did not work really and it didn't really look like uh Tokyo magnum really had much hair to lose in the first place but but there there we go um not as um, crazy high spots as I, I thought it might be. I thought it might just be a case of high spot after high spot, but there was quite a bit of sort of um, groundwork and mixed in there. Um, so they were clearly sort of telling a story, albeit one that many of us may, may not not really know, but it did look like there was sort of more, more to it than just do a flip, get up, do another flip. So, yeah, that was... That was good. I mean, I will I will quickly say not uh, not to plug another podcast just yet. I might do, say that at the end, but this wasn't the first cage match I've watched this week. I've watched quite a few this week. So for for another uh, podcast I was on, so I like I said I might mention that towards the end. But um, putting that alongside some of the ones I did watch, uh, somewhere in the middle, I guess. I mean, I watched a, a decent one earlier in the week, which I might again. Mentioned. But yeah, this this was fine for, for not knowing the story and not knowing 
or too too much of what I want, and then sort of eventually getting the idea of what they were aiming for in terms of the eliminate sort of one person out at a time rather and cut counting down to whoever was left in. Um, yeah, I thought it was not too bad at all, albeit yeah, maybe a little long. Right, and that sort of is our first sort of round of matches, and we are heading back over to um, the UK for our next match, which is back to, with you or self, Adam. Yeah, um, so I made mention in the news that Rest Express had announced uh, Dominator was going to be one of their full-time wrestlers, so... There's, so I'm going to be covering a match from his promotion now, which is uh, EWW, uh, as it was known at the time, Extreme Wrestling, no, Extreme World Warfare is what it was known as at the time. So I think they changed to wrestling uh, a few years later. But as a promotion individually, they didn't run very often, uh, but they did have a working relationship with the FWA. Uh, in fact, here they, I believe they're using the FWA ring. Uh, I think he even says FWA on the turnbuckles, but the camera quality is not that clear. But I'm, I'm fairly sure it's the same ring from the FWA shows. Um, so yeah, this is actually the last show they'd run for about 18 months. Part, of, uh, it was hinted at that Dominator was where he was going to be full time with Wrestle Express. EWW probably was going to cease existence. Um, and it, like I said, 18 80 months before it came back, uh, which I'll probably go into more next time. Um, so this is the only show they ran in 2001, although they did have a EWW title change six months earlier on a on an FWA show featuring uh, Guy Thunder from last month, who defeated the Dominator with help from, of all people, Alex Shane, who course was his opponent last month he was supposed to defend the title on on this event but a back injury would have uh, meant he had to vacate the title um he would come back to have a last man standing match with Alex Shane I believe next month but he, his career pretty much dried up after that and he only made sporadic appearances uh before dropping off the radar Right, the match I'm covering today is uh, is an I Quit match between Johnny Storm and Stevie Knight. Hello. Hello. Yes. Who is this? Who are you trying to reach? What number is this? What number are you trying to reach? I don't know. I think you have the wrong number. Do I? Yeah, it happens. Take it easy. Bye. Hello. I'm sorry. I guess I dialed the wrong number. So why did you dial it again? To apologize. That's okay. You're forgiven. Bye now. Wait, wait. Don't hang on. What? I want to talk to you for a second. They have 0898 numbers for that. Bye. Hello? 
Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Mm-hmm. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a movie now. Really? What? Just some boring wrestling videos. You like wrestling? Uh huh. Who's your favorite wrestler? Oh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. Who comes to mind? Um, Alex Shane's not too bad. You know, the guy that wears the gold trousers and likes to steal the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's yours? Guess. Um, Doug Williams? Is that the guy who does everything by his own rules? Yeah, the anarchist, I believe. The anarchist. That's right. I like him. He's good. Well, I used to like him, but then he started getting a bit out of control. So, does he got a title? Maybe. Why? You want me to give you a shot with him? Maybe. Does he have a title? Yes, but I'm not going to let you wrestle him. How about Scotty Rock? Does he have a title? Maybe. Do you want to wrestle against Scotty Rock? Can I? Well, I suppose you just do a title defense. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? Because I want to know who I'm looking at. Johnny Storm! That's right. The Wonder Kid is back in the FWA. And thanks to you, Vicky, FWA gold will soon be around my waist. Style in action. Uh, two FWA talents primarily. Um, and actually, I haven't, I, even though I'm not, not covering anything from their TV, I still watch their TV this month, and it is the best month of TV. Although they only did three episodes because they changed from being shown on a Saturday night to a Monday night about halfway through the month. It means they lost a week. Um, and one of the better skits in it is we had the Reservoir Dogs last month. This month they actually did a Scream parody, which featured Johnny Storm. Um, <laughs> and it's notably better acted than, than said Reservoir Dogs, the, than the Reservoir Dogs thing. But then again, it features Victoria DeMarco, who I believe at the time was a drama school student. And you can tell because... Um, anything with her in is immediately better than anything that's just the wrestlers, um, and, and she's easier on the eye. But onto the onto the EWW match, um, as I realise I've not got the, got the right page open. So out first is Hot Stuff Stevie Knight, or as the Chiron on the bottom of the screen says, Shining Light. Uh, I'm not sure which to go with as being from Grimsby. Yeah, where it's not known from being particularly warm or sunny, I'm not sure Mr. Knight has the best gra- background to make a comparison to that. Um, should note, uh, despite him sharing a name with them, he's not actually part of the Knight dynasty from Norwich. On a side note, his opponent is in no way related to either Lance or Tony Storm. <laughs> so, once he gets in the ring, uh, Stevie grabs the mic and runs down the crowd, knocks up in general. Uh, he said he heard it's posh, but looking around, it's really not. Having been there, I can agree with him. Um, 
Johnny is announced as being the king of comebacks, which is odd considering he's only three years into his career. And as far as I'm aware, he's not made any noticeable um, at any sort of noticeable hiatuses at this point. Uh, he then comes out to to music by five, which if you are under 25 or not from the UK, they were a boy band who were popular at the time. Um, out of all of his entrance. <laughs> Were they popular at the time? Yeah, I suppose they were. Think, just about, just about. I think, I think they were on the downward slope at this point. I think um, this was around the time Blue was starting to sort of take their place, but they were they were still there. Uh, we'll, I mean, we'll cover I, I, that on our boy bands podcast coming soon. Uh, <laughs> I mean, out of all his entrance themes he's had over the years, this is this is not his worst choice, and I will put money on the fact. He chose this music. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could uh, imagine him choosing this one as well. It, it, this is seriously the sort of music he listens to from people who have uh, been in the car with him for several hours at a time. Um, it, does, it doesn't surprise me. I've heard him to come out some to real terrible pop tunes uh, throughout the years at different shows. And that matter, what do you? You for the years he came out to the Men in Black Two theme, that was I would just that I'm I'm distracted. I should get back to this. Uh, Johnny, so Johnny goes through the crowd, slapping hands, before getting in the ring. One commentator asks if Johnny is some sort of gymnast, given the current top stars in the industry. I'd say that makes him a trailblazer. Um, Johnny grabs the mic and basically tells Stevie to shut up. So the bell rings, Stevie is still outside the ring, he takes his time getting in, but before he does that, he grabs the mic, tell the crowd off again, and they get, get ready to start. And Johnny's on the outside to hug it, hug it out with the granny that Stevie was insulting. Uh, back in, they're doing the corner pose spot, which leads to the inevitable attack on the baby-faced Johnny as, as Stevie starts to work him over in the corner. Stevie throws... Johnny to the ropes where he ducks a line and hits an insiguri, followed by a slam before missing a senton. The action starts to pick up as both sweep the legs for covers before Linsky reminds them it's I quit rules. Something I don't think at this point the commentators have actually mentioned it up till now. Uh, so Stevie at this point is uh, back during with the crowd and Johnny brings him in the hard way. Uh, Stevie responds by sending him out the hard way. Uh, Stevie goes for a baseball slide, but Johnny dives back in, followed by a springboard, a springboard somersault that really pops the crowd. They run around the ring and slide back in. Uh, Stevie tries to jump Johnny, but he reverses it into an arm drag and an arm bar. Linsky has a mic in Stevie's face, but that's a no. Uh, Johnny grabs the mic, and even calling him a faggot doesn't get Stevie to give up at this point. Um... Randomly, I noticed that Stevie's leg is out the ring, but it's been announced as falls count anywhere, so that's completely irrelevant. Um, Johnny works the arm some more, and Stevie reverses out with a head scissors, but Jimmy Kip, uh, Johnny kips up before going for a cover. Uh, the quick realization here uh, makes this reoccurring spot a lot less irritating than, say, the submission match at Rumble 89. Johnny keeps on the arm, but uh, is stopped with a good old Greco-Roman rake to the eyes. Uh, Stevie beats Johnny down and chokes him with the ropes. Linsky goes to see if he'll say I 
quit, which means Lidsky doesn't grab doesn't grasp the concept of what choking does to you. Slam a chip, uh, slam and a chin lock on Johnny who fights. It's uh, out, but he's knocked down with an elbow. Fisherman Buster on Johnny, yeah, who's choked with the ropes uh, and then gets put in another chin lock this time. He fights out and hits what I think is supposed to be a head scissors, but somehow ends up being a cross body for a zero count because, again, it's an I quit match. An elbow takes Stevie down and uh, Johnny is up top for a turnaround. Moonsault looks sweet. Uh, I don't know if I've seen that since since Mark Marrow sort of dropped off the map. Um, I said drops the mat, kind of returned to his Johnny You Bad gimmick because <laughs> you forgot he cropped up doing that in TNA, didn't you? Oh, don't worry, we'll have you covered in about four years' time. <laughs> Despite the foolishness of said moonsault and Johnny's insistence, uh, Stevie is, is prepared to keep going. Johnny starts uh, the corner punches but gets power on for his troubles. Uh, crossbody from Stevie takes both to the outside and they're in the crowd, um, unlike the camera for some reason. Uh, the other camera is in the crowd, but reluctant to get closer as they brawl by an exit. I Finally, they fight towards the camera, and I can see what the hell is going on. Uh, Stevie's loud out on the floor. Johnny chokes Stevie with a shirt that he's found, but not so hard that Stevie can't say no into the microphone. Apparently, Linsky's not the only one who doesn't get how choking works. Um, Johnny, <laughs> chases- <laughs> Johnny chases Stevie with a chair, but gets cut off and dumped back over the barrier, out of the crowd. Is this cameraman actually hiding behind someone in the front row? Um, I think the other cameraman's up, up and left because this is because it's just from this camera from this point out. Johnny is searching under the ring for something, but Stevie cuts him off and slams him on the floor. He then peels back the mats and goes for a pile driver. But the commentators say he's going to be on the concrete, but is what I would, as being the lame and the am, would more refer to as Laminate flooring. Johnny back drops out uh, and then grabs a plastic box, sticks it on Stevie's head and decks him one. Um, in one of those spots that looked kind of fun, but the wrong person doing it, it would look really stupidly rotten. Uh, Johnny rolls Stevie back into the ring and then a weird camera cut means I miss completely what happens at this point as uh, Johnny is suddenly chasing Stevie to the back. So some stuff happens here, including a match. I would cover it, but in my list of priorities, it is somewhere behind that Chuck Palumbo match I didn't cover on episode one. Um, as the competitors from that match, though, start to leave the ring, out come Storm and Knight. Um, I'm sure the crowd are happy to see them. I mean, how bad would it have been for the match to have ended in the back and no one to have seen it? Especially given how at this point the cameraman is hanging out in the second row um, and the first one seems to have vanished. Um in the ring, Storm hits a super kick and yells for that piece of shit to say, I quit. No dice. What's that microphone in the back with them the whole time while they were fighting? Because not once did all the stuff that was going on in the ring, did I hear anyone go, Stevie, what'd you say? No. Stevie, what'd you say? <laughs> no. I, I have so many questions at this point. I really do. Um, John gets caught coming off the top rope. For some reason, Stevie has a banana at his tights. I don't know why that's a thing. Something must have happened in the back, but it's really <laughs> not explained here. Oh. Uh, Knight goes up top, but Johnny stops him with a superplex. Johnny fires up and starts hammering Steve's head into one of the buckles and follows with a beautiful split-legged moonsault. Johnny drags him into the next quarter and goes for 
runner but gets reversed into a really nice face buster which knight transitions into a surfboard uh stevie gets pissed when johnny won't give up and starts yelling at the ref uh, he then turns around for storm to roll him round into the single uh leg crab uh the thing that lance storm used to do where he taps out to lose an i quit match let me say that again stevie knight taps out to lose this i quit match I would say it a third time, but I feel you get the point. Uh, Storm celebrates the crowd while Stevie just skulks around ringside. Um, I I did enjoy this match. Um, mm-hmm. What I saw of this match, I am oh, in the the camera. That's, this whole show is so out of focus, and the three cameras they use are all set up slightly differently. So there is a noticeable when it when it cuts from one to the other, there is a noticeable quality difference. Um, I've I, I say it pretty much every month, but again, they're relying on the ambient noise of the camera to pick up the microphones, and that's not the way to do it, guys. I'm five months into the, to this podcast, I cannot wait for Len Davis to come to British Wrestling. Want to put some production values behind it, but moving away from that, because um, I mean, part of the reason I didn't do the main event of the show because it was a cage match. Somehow, the, the last three matches, the arena got so dark, it's just hard to follow anything. I could not watch that cage. I don't know about you guys. You guys tried, but I could not watch that cage match at the end of it just because it was ah. Oh. But no, I, I had I had good good fun with it. I'm. I mean, the EWW, the, I've been to a couple of their live shows and they are good live shows. And this seemed like it would have been a great show to be there live. But yeah, the the camera stuff, it just made it really hard to follow. What, what, what about you guys? Did you have any of the same thoughts I did? Yeah, another sort of... Uh, technical not-so-masterpiece here. But I guess that's Aww. the. That's the <laughs> well, I, I guess I guess they had sort of on-screen graphics and and so that so there was there was some sort of at least post-production put in, I guess. But um, but I mean that's the joy of the Indies, isn't it? The the quality of of camera work and and so forth varies from match to match, let alone month to month. So it's something we sort of I guess are just having to sort of get used to and sort of take as part of part of this this journey that we're not gonna we're not gonna always see the the greatest production values out there but in terms of the the match itself once it eventually got 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 going after all the sort of grandstanding and promos and all that stuff beforehand i yeah thought it's really good uh, the only sort of uh, part that t- took away from me is the fact that they needed to stop for half an hour before continuing the match that kind of is a little bit a little bit sort of annoying there. So watching the match, then it kind of stops. Someone comes out to apologise for the fact that it stops. I thought, well, that surely can't be the end. So yeah, so sort of scrolling through, trying to find the res- uh, when it resumed. And but yeah, pretty good sort of throughout. From uh, to you guys, yeah, to say my forgotten the um, I quit kind of stipulation at parts through the match. But but in general, yeah, pretty pretty well worked and. It wouldn't if you if they appeared on another show if we watched them again in a month or so time yeah I wouldn't be 
too unhappy about seeing them do something similar like that again. Yeah, I, I must admit, um, the it going th- through the other match, um, had it been a rinky-dink promotion on the other side of the pond, I might have been a bit more upset about that. I mean, obviously, I pointed out the logical fallacies of the way they worked it, but yeah, because I, I believe there is actually in a, a somewhere soon a a match which starts in the ring, goes out through the back door, and then doesn't finish up till the show the next night. Yes. <laughs> that, that may be on the show in in a couple of years. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's. Yeah, and it doesn't hold the same appeal as as, as this match does. I, I mean, I I must admit I was, I was caught off guard when it, I thought you know when they went to the back I'd missed the finish. Um, I had to rewind it and check. Um, but yeah, Billy, what 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 did you think? You sort of said some things in the chat to me about it earlier. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the first five minutes. Just um. It took me back to a, a bit of a simpler time. You used to be able to ten Brit rest shows and it wasn't all like four and a half, three and a half star matches on the on the card. You'd have something like this where for the first five minutes the Hill, uh, Stevie Knight would just come out and just absolutely tear into the audience for no apparent rate, well, just to get some heat and that the obviously the crowd would get really peed off with him and uh, you know, really want to see him lose. And then obviously Johnny Storm would come out to, to five and everyone would go absolutely mad and the, the granny would be happy to see him. And anyway, it just it's just silly little things like that that I miss about like today's modern British wrestling. And it was just nice to see it again. And it performed pretty well. Now, I've I got to say, I've always had a soft spot for Stevie Knight because he was always very nice to me whenever I used to see him at FWA shows uh, in Broxbourne. He was always um, a nice bloke. And it was, he'd just come out here and he just completely healed it up and the crowd was really wanted to see him get his comeuppance. You know, the match was secondary to that first five minutes. They they didn't have to do anything after Stevie's promo. They could have just like continued to go back and forth on the stick and the crowd would have been more into that than what they ended up doing, which was pretty simple match and just a lot of fun. I would like to think that, you know, they ended up going into Oxford town and brawling all over whilst they were in the back. I will have one of those matches for you in about, in a few years time. Believe me. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I I would love to think that that, um, all happened or they ended up in a boozer and started beating each other up with bar stools and no that, that that's what I like to think and then it eventually got back and and they did the finish but it was just everything that preceded it and Stevie just like killing it with the hill promo and and it was just it was nice to see that um pantomime pro wrestling which we used to get quite a lot of in British wrestling just sort of play out and it it just is as a little has a little soft spot in my heart for that side of British wrestling. Always will be. I think you know All Star still still run shows. They, so you've still got that aspect there. It's just you know it's less. It doesn't get the coverage of say your progress. 
no, none of the big ones will do that these days. And I just sort of feel it's always something that's sort of lacking. You have a hill that's able just to go out there and insult the granny and and, and insult the you know the kids in general. And the kids are just they're, they're all there. They're, they're not necessarily like hardcore wrestling fans that they've watched a bit of WWF and they want to go and watch a local wrestling show. And I just it, it makes me a bit sad that that sort of crowd isn't around today in this day and age. No, it's I think it is still there in, in in small small pockets. I think if you like I if you go and watch sort of your local sort of uh poster on the side of a roundabout type uh, wrestling show, you you'll still see the the why am I in this town? This town is rubbish type type promo and with the with the very varied age group of fans ranging from seven to seventy seven. It's still there, still there. Just yeah, as you say, maybe not as as prevalent as before, or at least probably not ones that are being sort of that sort of taped and um, talked about. Well, the Rev Pro they do uh, like a family friendly show in Portsmouth every now and again, but it's just, it's just not the same. It's, it's just not like it used to be. Some of the stuff that they said you just couldn't get away with saying in this day and age. But hey ho. Yeah. Oh, like, like I said, this is um like the last show EWW did for about eighteen months. Um, which is uh, which is actually due to change of ownership because um prior because Dominator for the first ten years went in there with a business partner and I think changed uh, and between this show and the next one the business partner changed. I'm not sure of the ins and outs, but. I I believe the business partner he ends up going with, they they still got a good relationship. Is uh, I believe it was the chap who who owned IPW for a short while. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I yeah. So this yeah, I I mean, like I said, I I do enjoy the the EWW shows, and this is a good example of the sort of matches that that they'd put on. Um, because the match before this is uh, a new breed match I actually do want to cover at some point in the next couple of months um, I, I would, have, would have covered that match but I, um, it just I just didn't want to you know, force you guys to, to watch that it's not their best offering um, or, plus the production was, was so bad Well, uh, thanks for that, Adam. I think that was a, a decent view from from this side of the, the pond for this month. Uh, back over to North America and back over to Billy for another multi-man match. Not the not five in a cage like earlier. This time's just just a, just a three-way. But over to you, Billy. So yeah, we're off to Charlestown in Indiana, um, into Ian Rotten's tiny little warehouse, which holds about two hundred people. And uh, we're going to be looking at the second night of the IWA Mid-South Sweet Science 16 tournament. And, uh, yeah, it was um, had a lot of notable wrestlers in this tournament. Guys like Chris Hero, uh, Mike Quackenbush, Cole Cabana, Danny Domain, um, BJ Whitmore, Adam Pearce, Tarek the Great... Nova and the eventual winner, Ace Steel, who would um, 
be the trainer of someone that we're um, covering in this next match, which would be... Oh. Something gone wrong. Who sent me a message? Speak on. It's just... I think your uh, it sounds like your headphones have come unplugged because I can hear your speakers in the I can hear your microphone picking up your speakers. Right, hold on. Here we go. Right, is that better? That sounds a lot better. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a bit better. Yeah. Right. It, it'll be it'll be it'll be fine on on the on the audio. It'll just you'll just come over maybe sort of a little bit sort of different, but it's still it was still clear. Just just sound a little bit different. That's all. Okay, right, I'll carry on. And uh, this match will be a freeway. It will be Sabu versus Tracy Smothers versus some guy called CM Punk. I don't know if you ever went on to become anyone, but hey, hum, there we go. Uh, something, something neat guy, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll become something somewhere, won't it? Uh, so as you just heard, CM Punk run down the Insane Clown Posse and Bill Alfonso who uh, are at ringside with Sabu, which leads to Smothers and Sabu jumping Punk, who has been on a bit of a tear in the IWA mid-south and becoming a big name hill down there for them. Uh, So Smothers and Sabu put a beating on Punk as uh, Dave Prezak is basically very upset that his favourite wrestler CM Punk is getting a beatdown. Both Sabu and Smothers work over Punk with punches and with a double Russian leg sweep, followed up by a double elbow drop for a two count. Both men chop Punk over and over in the corner. Then Sabu calls for, as he would put it, a fucking chair. Sabu then, which was a bit weird because you don't really hear Sabu talk very often, but obviously the being in a small warehouse and the crowd, yeah, it was there, but it wasn't very big, so you actually get to hear him talk. Sabu then nails Punk with an Arabian skull crusher. Punk flops out of the corner and into a spear by Smothers for another two count. Smothers and Sabu then get upset with one another, but then but turn their attentions back to Punk, who gets tied up just like, well, kind of like Andre the Giant used to in the ropes back in the day. They give Punk a beating, then start ruling themselves. It was inevitable. It was going to happen at some point. Sabu gives Smothers a swinging DDT, then the Arabian face buster for a two count. Sabu gives Smothers a leg drop from the second rope, and now Punk is back in the ring, who is immediately sent back into the outside by Sabu. Uh, Smothers battles back with a spin kick and then brings... uh, Then hits a baseball slide to Sabu, which sends Sabu into the crowd. Punk then springboards up to the top rope and flies off with a drop kick for a near fall. Punk works over Smothers with lefts and rights, then drops a double axe handle to Sabu on the outside. Punk continues to work over both Sabu and Smothers. Smothers makes a comeback with a crossbody and a flying forearm smash for a two count. Punk battles back with a Northern Lights, but Sabu is back and gives Punk a big flying clothesline off the top rope. Sabu nails Punk with a swinging DDT, then sends Smothers and Punk to the outside. Sabu sets up a chair and dives out onto 
Smothers and Punk with Air Sabu. Sabu throws a chair on a downed Punk, then ICP set up a table. Well, you booked ICP, you might as well get them to set up a table. Um, Bill Alfonso distracts Smothers. Oh, oh, sorry, gone a bit too much in there. Smothers battles back as Sabu is distracted with Punk by nailing him. Sabu whips Punk into some spectators. Smothers lays Sabu onto a table and climbs up to the top rope and flips off the IWA fans. Uh, which gives Sabu enough time to recover. Sabu nails Smothers with a Frankensteiner, then rolls Punk, then then and then in rolls CM Punk, who covers Smothers for a near fall. Sabu works over Punk with a chair and then nails Smothers with another Air Sabu, who is in the corner, and Smothers falls face first into a chair. Punk is back and he covers Smothers again for a two count as it is broken up by Sabu. Table is set up in the corner while Smothers gives Punk a belly-to-belly suplex. Tracy does a fake out and a 619. Well, it was a 619. Back in the ring, Sabu and Smothers exchange chops to one another. Sabu throws a chair into Smothers' head and they... Seem to fuck up the air Sabu spot through the table. Punk pins Sabu for a two. Then Smothers just grabs the chair and starts hitting Punk with it. Sabu grabs another chair, but Smothers super kicks it into his face. Punk Punk then gets the same treatment from Smothers. Sabu then does the sweep of the legs like in the Karate Kid. Two Smothers and Smothers falls face first onto the chair. Shabu drops an Arabian leg drop onto Smothers and Punk covers Smothers for a two count. A table is set up in the ring while Sabu nails Smothers with a Tornado DDT. Sabu then lays Smothers onto the table and drops his big leg drop off the top rope and comes crashing down onto Smothers and both men go through the table. Punk nails Sabu, then crawls over and pins Smothers for the win, which probably made a lot of sense considering he's their top hill. Uh, this match, it wasn't particularly bad, but it wasn't anything great either. It, it, it was obviously a freeway, and Tracy Smothers was there to basically put over Punk because Sabu wasn't going to be doing any kind of a job. We've talked about this before. He just doesn't want to do jobs around at this point. And this was another match yet again. It was originally going to be Punk and Sabu, but then they added Smothers so that Punk could actually go over rather than him losing out to Sabu because they're pushing Punk quite hard as their next up-and-coming hill. Uh, But apart from that, I just thought it was a nice way to look at CM Punk. He's been getting his push now in IWA mid-self ever since the end of the King of the Indies tournament. And this is obviously someone that's going to, you know, feature quite regularly on the podcast within the next few years, shall we say. So I think this is just a good way to to look at his beginning. And it's it's, it's basically one of his first big wins going forward. Uh, so So what did you guys think of this one? 
I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was uh, fine. I thought we got to see pretty much a, a nice little bit of every everybody. Everyone got sort of all their stuff in. I think the only thing we were really missing was uh, Tracy Smothers doing a bit of a dance for us. But hey ho, can't ask for, can't get everything you want these days. But yeah, really good. Uh, Sab- Sabu didn't, um, it wasn't too botchy. I think he sort of got through all of his stuff really well. Punk playing the, the Sneaky Hill worked really well with the sort of arrogant kind of primer at the beginning and then sort of sneaking the, the pinfalls throughout, eventually getting the one that, that won the match. And then with the sort of um, make everybody happy afterwards with uh, Punk being put through a table by... Um, ICP and then Tracy sort of cutting kind of a good promo at the end, sort of saying how good Punk at, Punk was despite him being here and thank you, and then the respect with uh, Sabu. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Like I say um, got a bit of everything, got a bit of everything, got what you wanted from Sabu, got a nice bit of uh, Tracy, and then yeah, good to see sort of seeing Punk uh, very early on in his career. So yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing it. Um. I'm not a big fan of triple threat matches. I'm going to out there to begin with. I'm sure there are some people who who listen to me at this point thinking, really? Um, Just going to throw this out there randomly. So do you realize that when Punk showed showed up on, uh, on AEW a few weeks ago, he was the same age as... Hulk Hogan at Bash at the Beach 1996. I saw it the other day, and I was just like, yeah, I might as well throw that. So, um, like I said, I triple threat matches uh, are not my favourite thing. Randomly on Twitter this afternoon, someone put up a post saying, why are all triple threat matches no DQ? And my instant response was, uh, triple threat matches are usually lazily thrown together with no real thought behind them, so why should the content of the match have any yeah, more thought behind put it uh, behind it than the concept. But um I I don't get why you don't do triple threat matches elimination. I mean, okay here you've got someone who's not gonna do the job, but that's as much on the booker as anything else. Um if they're not gonna do what you tell them for, to do, don't book them. It's I def- um, I don't know if the crowd were very muted or the, it's just the way the audio setup was, but did anyone else find that they weren't really picking up on any reactions for any of the guys here? And I was obviously the sort of crowd it was, was expecting Sabu to be really over. Uh, I, th- I think Tracy got a little bit of sort of cheers and applause for the promo at the end, but yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't the most raucous of. Of crowds, especially sort of compared to some of the things we have watched previously. I well, guess they had just sat through eight matches as well, so you can sort of forgive them. Yeah, for so not I guess maybe it's a bit, of fatigue, bit of fatigue I mean, as, I, as well. I suppose that that is understandable. Yeah, um, 
randomly to do with this match this just shows how reliable cage match is because i sort of looked this match up on cage match before i started watching it it said sabu one um oh. I, just thought, I, was, <laughs> I saw that and i was like yeah i could believe that um, especially at this point in his career do you think it's um, a bit like uh, wikipedia and sabu's gone and, and edited his own matches maybe. <laughs> <laughs> which has got me sort of got got me thinking you know i i, I use cage match for a for a certain amount of my research for this podcast, I really so I've I've now got to have to go back and double check everything I've ever said from off the back of the cage. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like I said I I think triple threat matches should always be elimination. Um, and I hate the OUQ thing, but in in this obviously in this environment. Everything's pretty much no DQ, so that's by the by. Um, my main issue with triple threat matches is everyone's triple threat match. Hello, are you done? Are you done, Billy? Can I? Keep going, or are you still messing around with your audio? It's, it's, sorry, the audio has just gone horribly wrong. It's like, carry on, Adam. Sorry, mate. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, my, my, like I said, my main issue with triple threat matches is, uh, is, is, is I think everyone's issue with triple threat matches in that, you know, you have one guy uh, who suddenly gets knocked out for like three minutes at a time while the other two go at it. Um, when here, they really did try and work at cutting that down. I think the person who's probably most guilty of it is Sabu, probably about a third of the way through the contest. But even then, it wasn't too bad. Um, one thing that, that did really irk me about this match, and it was actually nothing to do with the match at all, um, but the ring spring was squeaking. <laughs> Every- uh, yes, yes, I, I did yeah. notice that. I, I did have a little comment here where... Um, someone forgot the WD forty for the night because yeah, it was it was quite squeaky throughout. I didn't I didn't note that. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and it, 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 at, it, at points it got quite distracting. I mean, these guys, uh, to be fair, did actually put together a fairly solid triple threat match. Um, you know, not really following the IWA product because of reasons I've stated already in various episodes and probably will state again in the future. Um, it's not my thing, but you know, they, all the roles here were clearly defined as to what was going on. Uh, the announcers were more than competent. They, you know, I had obviously I've, I've not seen the previous day's show, but they brought up that something had happened between uh, one of the one of the clowns and CM Punk, which is part of the reason that they were out there and also tied into the finish. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, so everyone here did did their job really well. Even um, I think it sounded like the uh, the microphone audio was actually picked up from a separate source as well. So um, who thought I'd be throwing this many compliments at an IWA match? Um, but yeah, so so yeah, the the match itself was fine. Um, it's you know. I, when you first said we're going to be watching another IWA match, I was just like, 
oh, I just copy and paste my response from the last one. But then I was like, oh, okay, it's not it's not actually a death match. So, uh, so it was it was nice. Yeah, it was a good sort of match. You know, everyone. Uh, I mean, Punk's a bit rough around the edges here, but they said he was only what two years into his career at this point. So he had, so you know, he you could sort of see him going from there. It's just a shame that um, somewhere like IWA is where he sort of plays, right? Because, like, I mean, maybe it was the eight match fatigue that the crowd was suffering, but. Like when Smothers came out, half of the crowd were just sort of staring kind of blankly at him. I mean, you know, the rest of them were giving him the props, but it, uh, it just wasn't the greatest environment. And um, but yeah, I mean, it was the I did like the finish. You know, the um, Punk taking advantage of the you know the table spot. Really, sort of, you know, it sort of it was one of those finishes that kind of set, that kind of sort of showed everyone in the light that they needed to be. Um, but yeah, it's, but yeah, it's just not the sort of match that I would choose to watch. It's not the promotion I would choose to watch. Um, so, it for what it was, it did really well. But it's it's not something I would go, I would have gone out of my way to watch had I not been doing this show. Excellent. Thank, thanks for that. And yeah, thanks, Benny, again for sharing this match with us. Uh, up next, we're, co- we're incorporating both my final match and the listeners' match as uh, both feature um, Scott Hall and his uh, time in Japan, most likely in New Japan. And uh, having looked at this, he was actually in Japan for around about six months. And this is the sort of last month he's there and the listeners match itself it's his final match in japan before he sort of heads back to north america and uh returns to the wwf in february 2002 um we'll get to that in a moment but first uh chaps any more um you have on scott hall's time in japan before we get into the matches well scott was over there and he was just trying to basically get himself back into ring shape and prove to to Vincent Co that he could go still and he, he when he was out there he he generally tried he put over a, a a number of people over there like Don Fry and Scott Norton and you know they had a big part in New Japan um going forward as well and he joined um basically the team that took over from NWA Japan, NWO Japan, which was Team 2000 with Masachino, Masahiro Chino, who led that unit out there in um, New Japan. And he actually had um, some really good matches. He, he worked in a lot of tag team matches with Kojima and Chono, a hell of a lot. And, um, yeah, um, Scott, went out to prove to the world that he could still kind of go. Yeah, he was a little bit washed up still, but I think he did what he needed to do. And, you know, um, he looked good whilst doing it. Right. Thanks for that. 
quick recap uh, there, B. And now we'll go on to uh, my second uh, match choice for the month. And I say it is uh, Scott Hall versus what's, well, the caption on the video I, I've uh, chosen is a Japanese young boy. That said Japanese young boy actually turns out to be uh, Tanahashi. So certainly a star for the future, <laughs> to say the least. Who? Oh, never heard of him. Ah, uh, we'll get there in the end. <laughs> so, uh, the clip starts with the uh, ring introductions, and Scott Hall gets a, a strong reaction as he walks to the ring. Um, Tanahashi just the standard sort of polite applause that you expect for someone who's just sort of starting out in their career. Uh, Scott Hall, before this uh, match, offers a handshake. Tanahashi declines. So, for for that sort of show of disrespect, Scott Hall uh, then just uh, rather than offering another handshake, just offers him his toothpick to the face in a sort of classic Razor Ramon Scott Hall uh, spot there. Uh, Coronero type start into an arm ringer, then uh, the again classic Scott Hall shoulder thrusts. Um, then then uh, after the shoulder thrusts, uh, Feynman tossed by Hall uh, tosses. Tanahashi over and into an armbar with Scott Hall then uh, paintbrushing the back of Tanahashi's head. Again, another spot we're used to seeing Scott Hall do, but this one, being as in Japan, just seemed a little bit stiffer, a bit more uh, oomph behind the, the paintbrushing sort of slaps to the back of the head there. Uh, a quick transition from Hall from a top wrist lock into another armbar. Again, as you mentioned, Billy, sort of Scott Hall proving that he can still work in the ring not not just do um his usual spots but yeah a bit like a transition from one arm lock to another and then a, a quick stomp on the floor when Tanahashi is down Hall then backs Tanahashi into the into the corner and hits a chop that sounds as loud as thunder and it's gone as an understandable big reaction from the crowd uh, yeah as you say if you go go listen to it at the time you'll hear that chop echoes louder than many chops you saw here before another sort of the knife edge chop not as nowhere near as loud but then from hall brings tanahashi out of the corner and hits uh, scott hall hits his uh vintage uh, fall away slam i can say scott hall certainly hitting his uh go-to repertoire here for um putting tanahashi in an abdominal stretch then uh, hall then takes tanahashi down to the ground with uh so STF type Indian or Indian deathlock uh, stretch, but uh, Tanashi does not give up. Uh, Hall then picks up Tanashi and puts him on the top turnbuckle and hits a belly-to-back suplex from from the top and signals for the outsider's edge. Hall then uh, muscles up Tanashi, not as it wasn't as sort of clean as it could be, but it sort of strong, sort of using strength to pick him up but then manages to hold him up there for a second or two before hitting the outsider's edge, and it did look pretty good, to be fair. Uh, rather than going for the pin, though, uh, Scott Hall decides to grab the microphone and call out uh, KG Muta. I wonder where that's going to go. Uh, but um, this uh, decision from Scott Hall backfires, as this gives Tanashi enough time to roll up Scott Hall and get the surprise three count. Uh, Tanashi rolls to the ring, rolls out of the ring with his arms arm raised, while Scott Hall looks on in bemusement. 
a completely this was a completely uh, one-sided contest unfortunately as uh Tanahashi got in pretty much no offense apart from that roll-up so after that initial sort of surprise and joy of realizing that it wasn't just a sort of random Japanese young boy it was in fact Tanahashi to then be disappointed to not actually see any offense from him this early on in his career but I guess this match was only sort of there to build up the uh, uh, feud between uh, Scott Hall and Katie Muta, who we will see a little bit of in a moment. But before we do that, uh, gents, your thoughts on this, albeit one-sided match, um, a bit of a showcase for sort of Scott Hall and him being in shape, basically. Well, you say he's in shape, but looking looking through the walking through the crowd, and he looks miserable. He's not in a good place. Oh. Do you think? I thought. I thought. He, I thought. Well, maybe mentally he's maybe not there, but I thought he looked. He looked pretty decent. Physically, physically he looks. Okay. You know, he's he's on his way back to being. He could. He's He's sort of. He could be either on his way back or sort of on his way away from being sort of raised from own shape. But I, you you look at him walking through the crowd. He is not a happy person. I. He's obviously he's he's still battling demons at this point, and I think I. When he, the first thing I thought when I saw him come on the screen was, um, was you know he's he's not in a good place. On a completely unrelated note, just as we went on air, I sort of had Facebook open and scrolled down, and I saw, and the, this meme I saw, uh, I think it's on the Colt Kayfabe uh, message board is, dude, if uh, your woman, no. Uh, is gorgeous, has great hair, and loves animals. It's not. It's not. She's not a woman. She's uh, Tanahashi. It's just like that is. <laughs> that's just the weirdest coincidence. Um, which is completely nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Yet at the same time, fits so well. Um, I mean, the the match is, you know, standard sort of, uh, you know, Scott Hall Razor Ramon sort of fair with. It's what you'd. It's what you'd expect him against sort of a younger guy um you know like you know his series with uh with waltman in in 93 you know that you know that sort of style of match um and you know i don't think anyone has ever kicked out of the razor's edge or outside his edge or whatever you want to call it so uh for tanahashi to get up from that that's actually that is a really good uh sign that uh, new japan at least uh, we're hoping for something from this kid. Um, and now he holds uh, the IWGP, I believe it's the heavyweight belt, or is it the junior? No, he's got the title? US title at the moment. Yeah. Um, so, he, so obviously he's, you know, he's, he's you know, he's, he's delivered on, on some of what they were expecting on him, at least. Um I mean, the match itself isn't really anything sort of particularly stand out. It's you know, both both guys did exactly what they needed to do. Um and yeah, I mean it's it I mean I I don't think it looked like a complete fluke win for Tanahashi, but yeah, it was obvious, you know, who who going in the star was and uh who who the other guy was and yeah, but if it is established, um, it established both guys well, and you know it's sort of set up for for the match that I'm going to cover here in just a second. Well, 
I do have a little bit of a backstory on this on this match. Um, basically, Scott was obviously going and spending a lot of time in New Japan, and uh, he was visiting the dojo quite a lot, and he saw, he saw quite... Obviously, Tiger Atori, who would uh, book the Americans to go over for New Japan, kept pointing out Tanahashi to him all the time, and kept saying how he was going to be the... You know, the company saw quite a lot in him because he was a handsome young man, and they thought that he would be a star of the future and Scott was kind of like, okay, so need sort of an angle to set up me and Muta at the end of the G1, at the end of the G1 tour. Uh, sorry, not the G1 tour. I can't for the night. Let me just remember the name of the show. So it's the G1 World 2001 show. So at the end of the tour, they needed the, the big match, which would be Muta and... Uh, Scott Hall. So to be able to get there, he thought, you know, obviously can't keep doing Team 2000 beat down Muta because Muta obviously is not in New Japan as well at this point. He's um, with All Japan because he's the All Japan Triple Crown Champion. Actually, he's been I don't booked. think he officially joins All Japan until January. Um, uh, I, I thought he'd already come, I thought he would already joined in April because he was technically still a freelancer at this point but because they put the triple crown on him he'd sort of already said um to giant barber's wife that he was going to be coming in so yeah anyway so yeah scott hall wanted to um just basically set up tanahashi and um have something with tanahashi so he could set him up for the future, so they could always say that he did beat Scott Hall um, later on in life. And, um, yeah, th- this is why we got this match. And it's something that New Japan don't brag about very often, because obviously it's very one-sided. But I did like it, how it set up the Muta match for later on in the tour. And, obviously, Tanahashi would go on to become the ace of new japan and he will basically carry it out of the anoki era because that will be ending all very shortly um about another five years away from that ending but he will become the top guy and the ace of that company and the go-to the 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 mvp all these other great words you can think of to describe tanahashi and it was just it, it was nice to to read that little story that, you know, someone, Tiger, had pointed out, Tanahashi, to, to Scott, and Scott, you know, wanted to impress New Japan. So, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll put him over. I can use him in an angle, basically, to to push this Muta match. I, I thought that was a, a classy move from Scott, even if he is a, a little bit fucked up still at this point. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he, he does know the business very well. He doesn't. You know, always make the best choices uh, with regards to what he does. But you know, if he he does have a good sense of what should and should not happen. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a shame he could never quite sort of work it out uh, with regards to delivering on a main stage. Um, but yeah, I. I um, I, but yeah, that, that does sort of speak a, a lot about you know his his love for the business that he was prepared to 
you know, take the take this kid that no one really sort of had heard of. I was like, yeah, I'll I'll do what I've done in the past because um, I think at this point, you know, he, he was pretty much set at the level he was at. You know, nothing, a loss wasn't really going to hurt him. Here was it. Right, so that brings us on to our final match for the uh, show and the uh, listeners' poll uh, match winner, which, uh, as we've talked about here briefly, was uh, from this same uh, Scott Hall sort of tour of Japan and his match against uh, Keiji Muto for the Triple Round title. And Adam, this was your choice, so over to you. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to thank Mr. Bamba for giving me this opportunity because um, I, I, be- I believe by the vote count, if, if he had voted for this, we, we'd either have had a tie or we'd be talking about a Road Warriors match right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. so Bobby, this that, that, was, that was my choice. And um, you can't, yeah, I, I, think, I think we went in the right direction, but just slightly. <laughs> Uh, don't uh, don't forget those listening to this. We do do these listener poll matches every month. Um, so if you don't like the, the winner of the match uh, and you didn't vote, well, you're to blame. So yeah, just uh, keep on the Twitter account just to keep up with with what we're doing because uh, you can also vote for the best match of of the show, which uh, usually works out fine, and uh, unless it involves Tony Atlas for some reason. <laughs> Do not besmirch that match. <laughs> Moving on swiftly. Um, so, Paul is in the ring, and I don't care what you say, Dan, I, I think he looks really run down at this point. Um, Musa comes out to a massive reaction. He greets a wheelchair-bound fan in the aisleway, and the introductions are underway. As the officials go to put the belts outside of the ring, Hall rips them away to pose with them for the audience. Um, a quick glance on cage match shows that this would not be the last time he would have a singles belt in his hands as he won uh, the WWC title, uh, that's World Wrestling Council uh, title, in 2007 as his uh, Razor Ramon gimmick. Uh, with more footage appearing online from Puerto Rico, uh, I think we're going to have to make an attempt to cover some of that at some point. As, um, it's it's interesting some of the matches they have going on because they must have some uh, working relationship with the Fed given how many of uh, WWF superstars hold that belt uh, over the next 10 years. Um, I think it's fair to say that even uh, as with Hall as a New Japan guy on a New Japan show, crowd here are still sliding with the All Japan Triple Crown champion. Um, so they start circling and Hall throws a toothpick to, to Muso, who, who sniffs it and makes a disgusted face before he throws it away. More circling and they finally lock up. And Keiji immediately to the, to the wrist lock into an arm ringer that Hall reverses into one of his own. Keiji just rolls out and trips Hall before slapping on a leg lock. Transitions from that to the ankle pick, but Hall kicks him off and then there's a stare off. Belly circle again. Hall gets the waist lock, but so that's reversed into a standing arm bar. He tries to work Hall down to the mat, but 
while he gets the hammerlock on, Hall steps into the ropes and they're forced to the break. Facing off again, Hall just knees him straight in the gut and beats him down to the canvas because sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Uh, Muta rolls under a clothesline and attempts to hit a drop kick for the first bump of the match, um, at which point I know I'm a third of the way into this clip. And it's actually been quite engaging up to this point, so that's not a knock, that's just a statement of facts. Um, headlock takedown on Hall, but he slowly works up to his feet but just can't get out of the hold. After various attempts at trying to wrestling out, Hall goes to the good old reliable straight right hand. Um, he then slams Muto but misses an elbow. Still enough peace of mind to avoid whatever Muto had pan- planned for him, and instead uh, Muto just slams on a on a chin lock. Uh, Muto gives up on that quickly, just drops an elbow instead. Uh, he doesn't go for the cover, instead locking on another headlock. Hall works up and gets out of this one with a slingshot back suplex. Uh, instead of a cover, he just stomps Muto straight, the no- straight on the nose. Uh, Muto goes to trade punches with him, but as he's getting hit by a guy six inches taller than him with a solid base, he lands straight on his ass after the first punch. Uh, something I quite frankly, frankly think should happen slightly more often in these spots. Um, one of these guys' matches I watched the more, for this project, the more I appreciate some of the more well-thought-out parts of his offense. Uh, I'm not sure if that is just because he is one of the best of all time or just because um, the current product has strayed so far from realism. Hall takes advantage of this with a chin lock, but Keiji fights up and just dumps him to the outside. Um, so after giving him a moment to recoup, Hall heads out and shoves Muto into the barricade. He then opens up a gate in the railing and they're out in the way in the crowd. It speaks of just how different the Japanese crowds are in this situation, as most of the people standing at this point are the ringside photographers and the camera crew. Uh, back in, Hall chokes him with his boot and invites him to get back up before putting him down again with a stiff right hand. Uh, so the referee lays in the 10 count, but Keiji yeah, gets up only to immediately find himself in an abdominal stretch. Um, at least he doesn't have to worry about so the extra bit Hall does where he kind of grabs the hair for four seconds at a time. Uh, so uh, Keiji hit, tosses out of that and misses an elbow. Uh, he does reverse a corner whip and drop kicks one at Hall's knees, uh, but that only sort of staggers him, so he just drop kicks the other one instead, and that takes him down. Uh, as he does a second, and then he dragon whips in before locking on the figure four. Uh, Hall is reaching for the ropes, and after succumbing to a two count, does grab the ropes to break the hold. Muto <coughs> doesn't get much on a backbreaker as um, Hall sort of cuts him off for, from a moonsault attempt by just backdrop suplexing him off the ropes. A strong kick out there at two. Uh, not so strong for the kick out on the choke slam though. Uh, another knee level drop kick uh, makes Hall slowly tumble and both catch their breath for a moment. Muto hits a backbreaker and a moonsault to with um, even with an attempt from Hall's Team 2000 teammates to stop him, but only gets two on that count. Uh, there's now tension between the two teams on the outside as Muto hits the wizard, but both are up together and Hall levels, uh, levels him with a clothesline. The crowd are chanting here as, as Hall backs Muto into the corner. Corner clothesline into a four-way slam, only gets two for Hall. Uh, then there's a sign for the razor's edge. Uh, as Hall gets him up, Muto slips out the back, 
catches him with a spinning heel kick and a knee in the corner for two. I have just noticed that Paul is wearing a razor Ramon elbow pad here. I think the slip covering it has just fallen down, but it's for some reason it just kind of grabbed my attention. And, and a shining wizard uh, gets Muto the win as Team 2000 check on the fallen hall. Casey grabs his belts and heads to the back as he waves to the fans. Uh, there's an interview following this, but I don't speak Japanese, so I don't know exactly what he said, but that was it for Scott Hall in Japan in, in 2001. So, uh, what the thoughts on the match, guys? Overall, uh, the match was not Muta's best match. Um in 2001 <laughs> what what do i say about this match scott hall was seemed to have his working boots on which is a great thing Muta was there to basically i'm not even why would i even use the word carry but he he was there to to help scott hall have a good match and it was a match that let's say Someone back in the US sees it. They can see, oh, well, maybe Scott Hall's motivated again, which is, is great news for him because he needs to sort of rehab himself after everything that he went through towards the end of WCW and, and where he is now. And so, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the match. I thought it was pretty well paced. Um, I thought Scott was up for it. Definitely. Same with Musa. But again, I, it, nothing really stood out as great or amazing this in this match. And unfortunately, Keiji Muta in 2001 is having some of the best matches in the wrestling world. That's, let's get some heat from Rory for saying that one. But he is. He, he really is. Um, we've seen two of them already. Uh, but this one hasn't got a patch on that. But it's it's not supposed to be a great puro match it's just uh more of Muta doing a favor for scott and making him look pretty great back in the u.s so hopefully he can let's say get a job with the fed and he can prove that he's a reliable and still hard working so yeah uh, not like I said, not the best match I I will see from Keiji Muta this year. But then, you know, this the bar has been set so high by him. Uh, so you, you just a yeah, great pick from the listeners. Really enjoyed it. Um, go out of your way and go and watch it as well. Dan, what are your thoughts? Dan, you're still muted, mate. Sorry. Yeah, I think uh, what you said was, what you both said was was right there. I think the, the match was kind of set to the pace that best fits um, Scott Hall at the time rather than rather than Muta. So, yeah, maybe not as sort of exciting and as um, in, intense as we'd seen from Muta over the past sort of few months. 
but um, but yeah, it's, it's a decent match, and I think yeah, I think as you as you said, Philly, I think Muta was probably uh, kind of doing Hall a favour by setting the the tempo like that rather than trying to wear him out and kind of make it all about him. This was very much a, a kind of a match of kind of respect and a bit of back and forth really between the two. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of liked it, but yeah, maybe I think possibly uh, after seeing the the moot matches of the past couple of months, I was probably expecting it to be a little bit a little bit faster, even with sort of with Scott Hall. So yeah, it was a little a little slow, but still still uh, good. And then yeah, good ending uh, to, to finish off. And um, there's a yeah, great initial pick there for Adam, and then yeah, thanks to the to the listeners for for voting it in for us to, to watch this month. I, I enjoyed that. And yeah, I think we've had Muta now for the past well, three, four months, I think at least three. And I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, shows up again uh, soon, because as you said, Billy, he's been sort of knocking it out of the park this past, past uh, year, really. Um, but yeah, all good, all good indeed. Um, as I said, that was our uh, final match and our listeners pick. Uh, so that concludes our sort of match listings for the month. Uh, gentlemen, any other sort of other points to make before we uh, sign off? Yes. Yes, there is actually something I'd like to say. Um, yeah. Right. I. So last couple of months, I've taken over mostly the posting on uh on the wrestling 20 years ago facebook um like if anyone here hasn't liked it please do i i put a lot of, a lot of effort in and um and i was it, i actually i'm having great fun doing it and i you know I'd, I'd appreciate more people following it uh we're up to about four and a half thousand at the minute and you know we need to spread the word um and anyone who has ever tried to to get a Facebook page off the ground knows it's uh, if you're not putting a lot of money in it, it's really hard to get noticed. Uh, like I said, we've got about four and a half thousand people who like the page and my average post reach at the minute, something like 300, um, except randomly when I'm doing the obituaries, um, which to be fair, I'd, um, I even have, Fun doing some of the obituaries. Yes, it's it's sad that we've lost these great names mostly, but you know, go going back through them and writing them, I get to you know sort of relive some like the fun times we've had. Like I, I did the Patriot recently, which uh, something like twelve hundred people actually saw that post due to pe- various people sharing it um, on different forums and the like. It was great, you know, just sort of um, just to go back and sort of you know watch like some of the old, uh, especially the WWF running. May not have been is. Uh, that's probably his most known work. We were talking about it in the chat earlier today. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, usually it's, it's fun with the exception of um, probably my most seen post that since I've taken up the Facebook page. And that is, uh, that's the recent passing of uh, Daphne. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to talk numbers, but I did get, it is my most seen post that I've, posted on there um and because i don't pay my mortgage from facebook likes uh i would much rather have not had to have written it 
Um, about a year ago, I did an, an article where I spoke about uh, Daphne's uh, lawsuit against TNA, which potentially have changed the uh, wrestling contract situation when it came to independent contractors. And I also meant in that article, I mentioned, I quote it in, in the post on the Facebook page where she got next to no coverage from most of the mainstream wrestlers, um, most of the wrestling publications. Um, and I, I completely understand why with that sort of isolation, she ended up uh, settling out of court for an undisclosed amount. Um, and it seems that sense of, of isolation sort of stuck with her through the years, given by um, given the, the troubling video that she put out towards the end. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is so what I want to talk about is. I mean, this whole the whole Daphne thing has actually got me thinking um, about, you know, just how rough. I mean, I'd, I'd say this industry, but a lot of industries like this one are. And it's it's really sad to have had to to write um, the obituary for someone so so young who we lost in such sort of tragic circumstances. Um, and not only that, but the fact that it's that everyone sort of for a few days afterwards was obviously quite devastated, but attention sort of soon turned away from that to to incidents that happened nearly 20 years ago, uh, what with the plane ride from hell documentary that seemingly dominated the news for it. Um, but yeah, I I guess what I want to say is I I don't really want to write all these uh, suicide obituaries. I don't want to. I don't want that to have to be something. I if there is anyone out there suffering, I I want you just to get the help that you need. I, there are people out there who, who who want you around. There are people are there are people out there who are more prepared to listen to you complain about how sad you're feeling um, than to go to your funeral. Um, so yeah, I'd, I hope uh, Daphne found her peace, and I hope that uh, there aren't so many of these incidents that happen to write about in the future. That was uh, beautifully put, Adam. Uh, thanks for, for sharing that. And yeah, do do check out the the, the Facebook page um, that Adam manages really well. And it's some uh, great pieces on there for, for everyone to read and not just the pieces he's just mentioned there. But yes, yeah, definitely worth worth checking out. And yeah, I echo your sentiments completely regarding both uh, Daphne herself and and mental health. It's it's I think it's affected more people than, than not over the past sort of 18 months or so. So, yeah, um, reach out to anyone if you can, um, whether, you, whether you know them or not. Sometimes even a, a stranger is easier to talk to than than a, a family member or a friend. So, so, yeah, please try to reach out before thinking anything else. And yeah, as I say, yeah, thanks again, Adam, for what you just said and, and for what you what you posted. Yeah, definitely, Adam. Thank you very much for sharing that and from everything that you said. Um, it's been a tough 18 months for, for everyone. And uh, 
there's certainly no need to go down the route that she went down and this is uh yeah it's a very somber way to to end the podcast but it needed to be said so thank you adam well yeah. um, you know I, I always uh you know i try and you know provide balance to my excellent good humor that i provide for the rest of the show <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for that too, Adam. Of course. <laughs> I'm not I saying thank say. you for your humour. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's the one who's most often creased up on the floor when I. Uh, when yeah, I got... <laughs> oh well, uh, brilliant. Well, yeah, as you say, that brings us to to the end of our uh, uh, show for this month. Uh, thank thank you both, gents, for delving back into the indie past with me again being being good uh anything more out uh to to plug from yourselves oh, well um i mean like i said there's the 20 yrs facebook page that's my, that's my facebook page uh, el.j.comedy at the minute it's mostly just me posting memes and 20 yrs updates but like it and you know tell your local comedy club you, you want to see me more i've I need to start getting some more dates in the diary. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter, el underscore j, the only 20 YRS Facebook account that is simultaneously followed by Jim Cornette and blocked by Hulk Hogan for reasons I don't fully understand. <laughs> so you, you can, uh, if you really want to, you can follow me uh, on Twitter. I'm at Billy underscore j83. But I would much rather you follow Indie Wrestling 20 years ago podcast on uh, the Twitter. It's at Indie W E R E S 20 Y R S on the Twitter machine. So go go and follow that rather than than following me on the Twitter because I just don't post over there anymore. Uh- Likewise from me. I mean, if if you really do want to follow me, I'm at Daniel S. DeWitt, but I wholeheartedly recommend following the the show page instead. And um, I'll quickly just say uh, we had some people sort of mentioning about the clips we talk about Uh, in your uh, podcast feed. You should should see the show description and there should be a link there that will take you to our website. And on that website is the page for the month that has links to all of the matches should you want to go and watch watch along with us final bit of, sort of plug for me i did mention earlier that i'd watched a lot of uh, cage matches this past week and that was because i was a guest on uh, our very own rory's uh, other uh, podcast uh, senior video which is part of the place to be nation uh, podcast feed where we talked about the uh, uh, cage matches from 1986 and beyond oh, and before sorry uh, as we reviewed the uh, Coliseum home video of Inside the Steel Cage, which featured a match uh, from 1970. I think that's probably one of the oldest matches either Rory or I have ever sort of reviewed for a podcast featuring uh, Bruno Sammartino and George Yanmore Steel. So, yeah, in the past week, I've gone from Bruno Sammartino to a uh, young Tanahashi. I really do sort of brought, uh, cover the whole spectrum of wrestling, don't I, I guess. Um, but until but that's enough sort of shameless plugging from me and nothing more to say to say apart from uh, just uh, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next month <laughs>